Hello and welcome to the next instalment in our Future of Auctions podcast series. I'm Julia Cahill and I'm joined by a superb lineup today to talk about some of the ways in which the property sector deals with distressed assets, a topic which feels particularly relevant in these challenging times. I'm joined by Ollie Childs, Head of Commercial Auctions at Online Auction House BidX1, Peter Loveday, Partner in Restructuring and Recovery at Sanderson Weatherall, and Nick Myers, Partner in Restructuring and Recovery at Smith and Williamson. Thank you all so much for joining me and welcome to those listening. We've got 30 minutes to delve into this area and I'd like to start by asking each of you to outline just briefly your roles and to give a flavour of what you're working on at the moment so, so that listeners are clear about where you fit into the process of trying to recoup funds from distressed assets. Peter, um, could you go first? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, so thanks very much for the uh, introduction, Julia. Um, as you mentioned, I'm partner at Sanderson Weatherall. Um, I'm both a registered property receiver and I also um, provide advice to insolvency practitioners, both uh, agency um, and valuation and asset management advice. Um, I guess in terms of some of the stuff I'm dealing with, um, my my remit is London and the South East. Um, so I would say it's quite sort of residential bias at the moment. I'm not sure whether that's um, because that's where there's a level of distress or whether that's because um, real estate in the southeast is predominantly um, residential. But um, lots of different stuff really across the board. I've certainly um, recently been dealing with more build outs, uh, part complete developments and sites. Um, I think we're going to talk a bit about retail, but certainly um, from my perspective, not a huge amount of retail exposure at the moment. So that's me. Perfect, thank you. And Nick, would you mind just outlining your your role and, and just a little flavour of what you're doing? Sure, Julia, no problem at all. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm a partner at Smith and Williamson and their restructuring and recovery department. Uh, I'm an insolvency practitioner. Uh, I've been with 14 years' experience in the corporate restructuring market, mainly dealing with the real estate sector. Uh, I generally deal with shopping centres, residential, commercial, industrial, mixed use. Uh, student accommodation, development sites. Uh, I, last year I dealt with over £100 million pounds worth of real estate. Uh, I'm also Chief Examiner for the Insolvency Practitioners Association. I'm currently dealing with probably around 75 uh, distressed assets uh, and that number's going up week one week and currently in a moment with the current market. So, um, and obviously I, I use Ollie and Peter in, in both of their different hats and different roles uh, currently. Okay, that's great. That gives us a really, a really good start. And um, yeah, something we'll come back to the fact that you are seeing that uptick in in the number of, of distressed assets that you're dealing with. Um, so Ollie, how does your role heading up an online auctions business overlap with restructuring and recovery specialists like Peter and Nick? Where do auctions fit into this? Thanks, Julia. Good morning, and uh, good to, good to hear from you today. Um, yes, I, I think it's it's important for um, a business like ours, where sort of we're leaders, I guess, in that online uh, space uh, with our own proprietary technology, to um, be speaking, uh, particularly uh, relevant at the moment with the likes of Peter and Nick, um, 
you know, where <clears throat> auctions fit in very well and have done historically um, in the insolvency world um, is, I guess, that, that opportunity for us to provide transparency, um, open competition, flexibility and, and reach, I guess, um, so that uh, any instruction that we're being asked to consider on their behalf, number one, we need to know that we've got the right in experience in-house to deal with it. Uh, but number two, because a lot of these uh, instructions, Peter or, or Nick may, may take on a um, on a sort of personal liability basis, um, you know, we are in that position um, to provide them with that best-in-class advice um, and an inclusive environment to achieve the best outcome. Okay, that's a, that's great. Thank you. Um, and I'm curious to know from from Peter and Nick first, um, how, where at what point sort of you you bring auctions in into play? Is is auction seen? Um, is it a last resort or a route of choice um, versus private treaty? Perhaps. Um, what are the attractions? Um, I'll go to Peter first. Uh, it very much depends on the asset, really. Um, I think um, it, it's neither, I guess, route one or um, a, 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 a route to sale being a last resort. Um, it very much depends. So I think, uh, for example, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you an example of a property that I would ordinarily not sell at auction. So a house, for example, where you're likely to appeal to homeowners auction um, is probably not the best route just because it's very difficult to um, obtain finance in such a short space of time and there's a significant amount of um, uh, uncertainty attached to whether you're able to deliver that within the normally what would be a four week time frame between exchange and completions but um, certainly from my perspective where you've got say for example HMOs which are income producing they're very suited to auction um, and by the same token, where you've got potentially certain issues around title anomalies and planning, um, auction um, often delivers that certainty of sale. Um, so that's um, incredibly helpful. Um, Nick, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, Peter, obviously, as you alluded to already, it's very much horse of the courses, uh, and it really depends on multiple variables. Morning, it depends on the asset, depends on the client. Uh, depends on the the, the exit strategy. Um, so it, it's, it, it's, we look at very, very assets on very much on a case by case basis uh, and agree with the client from the asset what the potential proposal is going to be. Uh, obviously, if, if there is issues with it, uh, I've got a couple at the moment. We've got cladding issues, uh, and we're probably looking at what well, we are both speaking to Ollie currently to inspect those assets, uh, which is probably going to be our. our third option just because it gives certainty that a sale will get away um, although at some sort of discount because of the cladding issues. I think the other point as well is around holding costs if you've got significant holding costs um, and the <laughs> the debt and the value there's, there's marginal gain then there's clearly a very compelling case to put that to something like auction which delivers the certainty of the sale. So you're not holding it, and then you're not hemorrhaging costs. That is a that's quite a significant yeah. attraction. Yeah, it's, it's a massive advantage. When, when once that hammer goes down, you've got 20 business days. 
to complete. It, but from our perspective, you've got that certainty. You know that deal is going to go ahead, um, and, that, and and that's key, um, especially if, you, if you're dealing with an asset where margins are very tight. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, and, and you mentioned transparency that that's offered by the auctions process. So how how important is that to your to your clients then? Oh, I, I think I'm sure Peter overstepped over if you like. But I, I don't think it's, it's important to the client. But it's, it's highly important to ourselves where we have to be transparent mm. and then obviously exercise best value and demonstrate we've we achieved that. Uh, well, obviously, well, just by myself, I'm obviously regulated. Uh, and I have a license, so I, I have to demonstrate it not just to myself, just to the client, um, and also the buyer to some degree. Well, I have a, I have a duty of care to them that I maximise realisations. You know, that transparency is 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 key. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd second that. I mean, the transparency is is, is key. I think um, any marketing process, whether it be via private treaty or auction, um, you know, as a receiver or an insolvency practitioner, you have to demonstrate you've delivered best value. And the advantage that you have with something like auctions is it's, you know, you're hanging your dirty washing out to dry for everyone to see. So, um, you know, everyone can see that it is a very transparent process. Um, and therefore you're to a large extent protected from criticism if indeed the borrower comes back or, or anybody any creditor comes out of the wash and says if you've sold it at an undervalue um, it's de you're demonstrating value by virtue of going through the room mm. and is there is there a typical sort of time frame from sort of when when you're brought in to get involved in an asset to then taking it to auction say is there is there a typical sort of time frame for that or is there huge variation Huge variation. Julia, it really comes down to the client appetite. Um, I, I, we got pointed to something yesterday afternoon, and the client just said, just put it straight into auction. Um, so that, 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 that's what Ollie doesn't know that yet, but it's going to come across his desk probably this <laughs> afternoon. Um, but it, it, but in some cases, you get appointed, you, you start looking at it looking at asset trying to, trying to maximize the realizations trying to work the asset and all of a sudden you you, you come across a load of problems with it which weren't explained to you at the beginning and by this time you're six months down the line you can hang about i'm going to get the exit here uh, and you start having to look at auction uh, as a potential exit yeah so ollie um sorry would you like to come in there yeah Oh no! I was just to say, I, I, you know, the, the the exit is, as Nick was saying, is, is all important. I think if you've got, if there are some easy wins, if you can polish the asset, um, and lots of, the, 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 I guess the fundamental issue with the properties that we have is nine times out of ten they have problems, and nine times out of ten um, the lender doesn't necessarily know what those problems are before you're appointed, and then it's a question of well, uh, what's the lowest hanging fruit? What you can, what can you address? prior to a sale, which is going to deliver best value uh, uh, versus what are the holding costs to get there, um, which included within that is the, you know, the costs of, of, of holding it, uh, holding the debt. So um, you can, you know, I've had properties that have stuck around for years just because either we can't sell them um, because there are too many problems um, or if we do sell them, it's going to crystallise a significant loss. Whereas, as Nick said, there are others where, you know, there's clearly no compelling case to hold them because there's nothing that you could you can feasibly address within a short time frame um, and you're all you're going to do is increase the costs um, to the detriment of both borrower and, and bank. Mm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So, Ollie, do you want to come in there? I was wondering, um, one thing I was keen to ask you, um, and it's clear now from talking to Peter and Nick why you're quite so busy, but um, what's what's the right price point, do you think, for going to auction versus private treaty? Is there a right, a clear answer to that? Again, you know, a very difficult one to answer that, Julia. Um, I mean, typically, if you look at um, the uh, capital value of property assets that have been sort of traded either in the residential sector or commercial sector, um, their values have been generally sort of sub a million pounds over the years. Um, and, you know, we've commented before how the auction market hasn't really sort of grown in size um, perhaps over the last 10 years. And, and I think one reason for that is that um, smaller lot sizes are still traded via auction. And I think with um, technology and the way that it has progressed and how um, we have um, adapted our technology to allow for a wider type of um, asset now to be transacted in the auction arena, um, it does probably um, bring a new focus uh, on that, that that new price point um, and and how that probably can be increased. Um, I mean, we we've got some examples recently of assets that we have sold with um, you know with guide prices um, up to six and a half million pounds, um, and you know that twelve months ago was quite unusual. So the landscape's definitely changing um, and. We're currently reporting on um, other similar assets, and I and I think going back to a couple of points that Nick and Peter made, you know, I think as a as a firm we understand um, the sensitivities around uh, these these sales in particular. Um, you know, pre two thousand, yes, um, auctions might have been looked at as a method of last resort, but actually, with the way that the internet, television programs, property portals, um, and the reach of businesses like BidX1 have massively increased. Um, you know, these long-standing relationships that we have with uh, receivers and uh, insolvency practitioners has put us in a good uh, place where we can provide that advice, but also more than ever, we can now provide flexibility um, with our marketing. So, you know, just to give you an example, you know, if we were holding room auctions, um, you could try and instruct um, us in uh, the middle of July, but actually you wouldn't have a room auction um, until September in reality. Um, whereas we can sell every day, we can list properties every day now. So um, going back to holding costs, you know, for us, it's all about providing the right advice, making sure that we're flexible and, and di dynamic so that if a client has an individual property or a portfolio of properties and the holding costs are relevant enough that the sale needs to be accelerated, then we're in absolutely ideal position to not only provide the advice, but actually to, to meet time scales and tighter time scales to ensure uh, these sales are achieved. And going back to one of the properties that we sold uh, recently, just as my final point, um, it was a, a retail warehouse uh, investment uh, up in. Cumbernauld in Scotland, about 15 miles northeast of Glasgow. Um, and although we provided a bespoke marketing period for it, so it was a six week marketing period followed by uh, 20 business days uh, completion period. Um, actually, we sold prior to the auction date 
significantly higher than the six and a half million pound guide price. But from the start of marketing to the point of completion, it was actually four weeks. And that was that was an accelerated timescale driven by demand, driven by the market. Um, so, you know, it's it's actually just an intelligent way of working. Yeah, so I'm just going to add something, Ollie. I think what we also find as well, especially in the current period at the moment, is with lockdown, how, how important everything online is. Because uh, with all the auctions I'm seeing currently, um, it's was it the, the room auctions they haven't died a death, but they have very much a final nail in a coffin where everything's online. You get a far bigger reach, but online, you get more people attracted onto online. Um, I think people, some people find it easier and less threatening doing it online rather than being in a room of thousands of other people. No, I'm really I, glad you, you came in there, actually, Nick, because um, yeah, I wanted to ask whether you think on this, this growth we've seen in online auctions, um, whether that will lead to more distressed assets being brought to market. Oh, very much so. Before. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so the, the clients are receptive and... It's not not putting anybody off. It's in, it's it's encouraging them. It sounds. It, it makes it it makes it easier for everybody. Uh, if someone's particularly interested in in, in a lot, and it's halfway through the afternoon, they don't have to spend the whole day up in London sitting in a in a big room with a lot of other people. They can just jump online for 10, 15 minutes and bid on the lot they want to bid on, um, and, and that's it. And get on with their lives. Um, so it's it's definitely moving into that direction, and it's it's. The last six eight months is definitely uh, strengthening that really. So the way Bill X is positioning himself is, from what is probably quite exciting for him. I think um, my, my view is I think the property industry has always been conservative with a small C uh, for a number of years, and um, the issue pre-COVID, I was always I wasn't necessarily reluctant to put something in online auction, but I was always always mindful that there could be a degree of criticism because it's you know untested um that's completely switched on its head now i think you know covid has been probably um don't know what ollie's views are but um a, a huge plus for the online auction industry because now it's demonstrated that um you know it's huge it, 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 it's demonstrated its worth you know you can sell stuff in fact it's the only mechanism of auction at the moment you so um, I think it's just accelerated what was probably you know, the way the industry was going before. It's just accelerated that process. Thanks, Peter. Um, uh, Ollie, I wonder whether would you like to share some other recent examples where assets have been brought to market, um, either either through um, private treaty or auction using your platform? And I know um, obviously you're you're often working with other sort of experts, joint agents, just to sort of give that full. Um, range of, of advice. Thanks, Julia. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, um, so we we cover the whole of the certainly our, our UK business covers the whole of the country, um, and you know we're we're regularly selling um, in London and and all of the regions, um, and that's both across um, the residential and and commercial space. Um, <clears throat> in fact, we've we've got a property running live. Um, as we speak at the moment, um, a residential property down in, in uh, Kent um, with a, a guide price um, of 250 to 260,000. Um, <clears> the last time I looked at the bids, it was up at 348,000. So, 
um, you know, these things uh, go on even whilst we're, we're, we're producing podcasts. Um, so, yes, we, we have sold uh, recently um, a number of assets, um, as I've alluded to already, um, for administrators, um, there were two larger shopping centres. Um, those were at um, three million and four and a half million pounds, uh, respectively. Um, <clears throat> there's the uh, residential asset in Kent at the moment that we're marketing. Um, we've also sold uh, recently a couple of um, HMOs uh, in uh, North London and, and East London, um, and it's very apparent the sort of pent up demand in the market. Um, last year um, was uh, until the general election um, a little bit more difficult and then we saw uh, January sort of accelerate away and then with COVID um, uh, the market in, in March became uh, very difficult overnight um, but actually um, as Nick and Peter already alluded to um, the online space has accelerated um, <clears throat> business like ours has become uh, much more relevant um, and we're now acting for uh, an awful lot more clients across many sectors um, the banking uh, sector asset managers um, local and central government and, and housing associations so we really are acting for a spread of clients um, I would say the 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 piece that sort of keeps coming back time and time again is this sort of certainty uh, this transparency and this flexibility and you know for for me at the end of the day i'm i'm agent i'm an agent looking to achieve uh, the best outcome for my clients and i want to be able to um have um as much um i want to have as much opportunity to be able to provide clients with the best advice uh, and to be able to put their assets um, to market um, to achieve best value. And uh, as I say, the, the whole point of, of BIDX1 is uh, that we're an inclusive environment. We're not an exclusive exclusive environment. We, we have phenomenal reach on a global level, and that is absolutely vital to uh, all of our clients across all sectors, um, that you know, no one after uh, a sale event can turn around and say, I wasn't given a fair opportunity. Yeah, that is so important, isn't it? Um, well, we are almost out of time. Um, so to wrap up, um, could I ask each of you from the pipeline of work you have and the conversations you're having with clients and potential clients, um, are you getting a sense that we will see more distressed assets? I know Nick's alluded to this uh, in particular already. Um, will we see more distressed assets coming to market and uh, wondered whether you can um, specify sectors or a sector <laughs> that you think is going to be um, dominating that activity in particular. Um, Nick, do you want to just expand on, on your comments? Yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, well, everyone's talking about retail at the moment, and I think retail is very much on, on its knees, unfortunately. Um, but there, there was other sectors, and I'm pretty sure that Peter will probably concur with this, what we're seeing at the moment. It's very much sort of the buy-to-let market, the development market, uh, and it's going to get busy, unfortunately, because um, there is a lot of people just sat there waiting to see how things pan out. And unfortunately, it's, it's not going the right way, um, depending on which side of the fence you're sitting on, obviously. But I think there's a, there's a whole lot of pain to come, unfortunately. Um, but there, there will be opportunities for people to 
uh, get hold of these assets and make them work. Thank you. And uh, Peter, would you, would you expand on that? Yeah, I think um, there's still a degree of forbearance um, by banks, I think, lenders. I think there's probably a lot of distress stored up, and I don't think we're going to see that until perhaps Q2, Q3 next year. But in terms of where I see there, you know, retail, obviously, you know, that's that's the one where um, COVID has accelerated um, the asset, you know, distress in that asset class already. Office, well, are we going to be going back to work in the same form or are we going to be working at home for two to three days a week and how's that going to impact uh, demand for office space? I don't know. Um, do you need the same amount of space? I'm not sure. Um, residential, it's, yeah, it's a difficult one because there was, I, I was saying, alluded to it earlier, lots of residential development um, coming my way. Is there going to be more of that? I would have thought, even if there's not more of that, it's still going to feature as being probably quite a large chunk of my work. So that don't, that, I don't think anything is immune. I think the only thing that probably is immune is sheds and logistics, just because they're flavour of the month. Lots of money is being invested in them, of course. You know, online sales are now preferred or increasing as a um, percentage of how people shop um, versus going to the high street. But having said all that, you know, retail, I don't think retail's dead. I just think, um, it, well, certainly recently it's become more localised, but how that's all going to play out is anyone's guess, really. Um, be a very wealthy man if I knew. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> Ollie, can I come to you there? Um, at, at, where 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 do you expect to be busiest? Which which sector, or is it just across the board? Yeah, I mean, uh, really, uh, going back to um, what Peter and Nick said, I I absolutely concur. Um, I would say, sort of pre-COVID, the discussions that we were having um, were that probably the sort of buy-to-let um, and the sort of uh, small sites uh, development sector um, and retail were were the, the three I guess windows of, of of opportunity that we saw in terms of um, potential auction lots again I think those those three pieces have just been accelerated with the pandemic so yes I, I think there will be a, a mixture of uh, properties where perhaps they they need repurposing uh, they need um, capital injection uh, and you know through a a, a just a distressed sale they'll fall into uh, new hands and and those new owners will be able to uh, to spend money and, and improve them uh, and create value so I think that value add piece uh, is important and there's a there's a strong market out there uh, willing to buy that asset type but I think uh, in terms of the uh, those three sectors um, small development sites buy to let um, and the sort of overall retail market is where we would see um, more more stock initially during sort of h1 next year okay that's great we are out of time there so thank you to all of our panel you've given us a fascinating insight into an area which seems only set to get busier in the coming year and thank you for listening for further auctions and private investor coverage look out for the rest of this podcast series and for print coverage in our 12th of december issue thank you Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, 
be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.